Hey, all you freaks and geeks out there in podcast land. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Green Belt Botanicals. That's right. Green Belt Botanicals is a locally owned and operated CBD dispensary based out of the capital of the great state of Texas. Now, you've heard me talk in the past about all their products and the benefits of CBD as well, but I want to take this time to talk to you about the live podcast that the beautiful Green Belt Botanical CBD Company is hosting on October 29th. 2020, that is two days before the spooky, spooky, spooky 31st night of Halloween. That is, we are hosting, we, Green Belt Botanicals and the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor are hosting a live podcast from the Green Belt Botanicals South Lamar location. So, freaks and geeks, be sure to come out that night, be sure to come out in your costumes, and be sure to come out ready, because we're run, we're rolling hot from 6 p.m. to whenever the smoke clears. Again, that is October 29th, 2020. Thursday, October 29th, 2020. And you can come out and enjoy yourself from a, for a live broadcast of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor at Green Belt Botanical South Lamar location. Alright? Come out there. And, and also, we are not only are we going from 6 to when the smoke clears, but our efforts are going to be to start a, uh, uh, we're going to start a decent little hot box, a decent little hot box there at the, at the CBD dispensary on South Lamar, okay? So, be sure, if you can't visit us live on October 29th, 2020, um, at Greenbelt Botanical South Lamar location for the live Doctor's Orders podcast episode. Be sure to check Greenbelt Botanicals out at greenbeltbotanicals.com. You can check them out for their tinctures, their CBD dog treats, their smokable hemp, um, their bath bombs, and I even hear say for, uh, that they have a, a hell of a CBD water. So check that CBD water out. And while you're there, make sure that you enter the official Green Belt Botanicals Freaks and Geeks promo code to get you 15% off at checkout. And that is all caps F O O T D R 1 5. One more time for you. All caps F O O T D R 1 5. And you're going to get 15% off at checkout. But Freaks and geeks, come on down, come one, come all, freak and or geek to the first live podcast, live uh, broadcast of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor on October 29th, 2020, live from 6 to 6 p.m. to when the smoke clears at Greenbelt Botanicals South Lamar. And check them out at greenbeltbotanicals.com. And now, on with the show. Wednesday, October 7th. Welcome, freaks and geeks, to episode number six of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor. As always, I'm your host, the 512 Foot Doctor. And if you are a returning freak or geek, thank you very much for all of your support. Again, I I cannot thank you enough. We hit... uh, uh, 300 plus downloads uh today or excuse me yesterday uh and that's just uh just 
a little bit over uh, one month that uh, this podcast has been uh, uh, in production. So, Freaks and Geeks, uh, past Freaks and Geeks, I really want to thank you very much for all the support. If you are new here, you are now a freak and or geek of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor. So welcome all new individuals, excuse me, new freaks and geeks that are just joining the uh, the Doctor's Orders family for the first time. So going in, like I said, we have uh, episode number six, and this is a, a very special guest. Uh, again, we are we're just trying to break uh, uh, the inaugural ten episodes of the Doctor's Orders podcast before we get to that very, very, very special live uh, October twenty ninth, twenty twenty uh, Green Belt Botanicals uh, a live. Uh, broadcast from the Greenbelt Botanical South Lamar location. Um, but before we get there, we still got to fill up the uh, fill up the podcast feed. We still got to fill up the content. Freaks and geeks, we still have to give you everything that you need and everything that you deserve. So right now, episode number six, we have not only is he a a an author, he's a husband, he is an an uncle. But he's also a, a, a highly, highly, highly valued uh, scholar, a highly valued uh, uh, educator. Uh, um, I give you uh, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz. This is episode number six of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor. Here we go. Welcome, Freaks and Geeks, to another episode of the Doctor's Orders podcast. This is episode number six. Um, uh, uh, I do not have a, an in-studio guest, but we're still rolling with the punches, rolling with 2019. And we have uh, uh, another Zoom guest, uh, Zoom. Um, this individual, he, he, he's an author. Uh, he is a husband. Um, he's a, 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 a an individual that has a, a, a lot of understanding and a lot of uh, 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 just intellect under his belt, uh, even above his belt, everywhere in his body, just uh, full of a uh, full of insight and full of a uh, um, full of good direction and good guidance. Um, so, without further ado, um, I give you author, I give you uh, uncle, I give you uh, scholar, uh, Doctor Rolando J. Diaz. How's it going? Muy bien, muy bien, muy bien. Nombre, cómo estás tú? How are you? I'm doing very good. Uh, doing a lot. I mean, we're just in transition right now, traveling, traveling, and uh -huh. um, oh goodness, um, yeah. The job has started back up to where I have to uh, physically go in and 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 uh, be present. Um, so um, that's a new, you know, a new thing at the moment. It's lucky for me that I was mm -hmm. I stuck to my schedule uh, of uh, of the past reality i'd been waking up at 5 oh, and just uh continuing and and kept the kept the program growing uh um that's one thing that wasn't canceled was the uh um the the drive the 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 you know just waking up the the whole routine the daily routine but uh um oh, how about yourself how about yourself well these are interesting interesting times we're living here doc because 
this whole um, this whole pandemic thing certainly uh, keeps us having to be flexible. Definitely. I'm a uh, professor here. At, I'm a professor here at the uh, Southeastern Oklahoma State University, and all of my classes went online this semester, and it'll be uh, they'll be online in the uh, spring semester as well. Um, so I'm reaching out to the students via Zoom, via email, via just about any other method to to uh, keep the, the classes going. For um, sure, for sure. But you're yeah, the, um, you're like uh, I don't want to say the poster boy, but you're the you're the 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 leader of that class, you know, or of that course of whatever you instruct, and uh, not just. Oh, I mean, certainly. You might not be the only leader that instructs that subject on that campus, but you're definitely an advocate for uh, education on that campus and just the continual, uh, uh, the continual instruction of education. I feel like with this whole 2020 thing that a lot of, uh, you know, um, did the teach, did the, the role of the teacher go away? Has it gone away? Will it go away? Which shouldn't go away. We've had, we've had teachers and we've had guidance, uh, um, dating back into the uh, uh, the BCE, I just learned that one. Do you know what BCE is? Not yet. Before Common Era, I've been reading the. Uh, oh, good. Oh, oh, oh! In that context, yeah, yeah. I always yeah. tell my students in what context. Oh, yeah, Not before hey. the Common Era, yeah. yeah. Was, and I, I just learned oh, that myself. Not. Really, uh, I was reading. Uh, uh, what was I reading? Some uh, uh, Eastern philosophy, essentially. Um, yeah. The, uh, it's uh, what is it? It's uh, the Art of War plus. Uh, so it's uh, more than just that. No, I, I've really been dabbling into that. I, I got into philosophy mm-hmm. at uh, at UNT, and uh, I think this is the first time I've, I've revisited it. I've uh, I've uh, um, I'll, I'll I'll pause right here because I'm going into like something that I've picked up um, during this mm-hmm. time. But this is a good question that I sometimes ask the other the other uh, the guests. Um, so. Um, here at the Doctor's Orders podcast, our our audience is referred to as uh, the freaks and the geeks. Um, it does have oh, a lot okay. to do. It, it play. It, I I, I kind of took it from uh, Judd Apatow and um, the whole freaks and geeks mm-hmm. show back. That was a beautiful show. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was only you know only last like, season, but oh, back was, in the nineties, yeah. The dis- oh, it was great. Um, but. In this time, um, I guess we can call it since since January. It's really since March, but since January, have you picked up any new uh, hobbies and or uh, um, um, just newfound um, appreciations, skills, something mm-hmm. that you've done? Um, um, you, uh, uh, if you want to, you can just let the people know, let the freaks and geeks know of a hobby or something that you've picked up, um, in this mm-hmm. downtime. Cause we've had a, a whole lot of downtime. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll let you know what I've picked up as well. But, uh, what have you picked up? Dr. Well, Jeff? um, here in uh, 2018, we moved to Durant, Oklahoma from Lubbock, Texas. Now that was just one of a long line of moves that we've made. And here during this pandemic, we've, uh, actually had the time to go through and go through our, a lot of our boxes in storage. What, were in the, what was in those boxes? Well, uh, at this point, my wife has cataloged, Luanda has cataloged about almost 2,000 books yeah. that we've carried all over every time we moved. Yeah. Now, where am I going with that? What are those books about? I can honestly tell you that we have a massive... Um, Eclectic collection of books. There is a massive collection of science fiction. I'm one of the biggest science fiction geeks you will ever meet. For sure. Um, 
in, in keeping with it, the Greeks and Geeks theme, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Philip K. Digg, uh, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, James Gunn. Um, I have a massive amount of Star Trek novels. Yeah. Um, I've got some old books from uh, the Tom Swift Sr. books from the 1910s, oh, nice, 1920s. Nice. And then in the 50s, um, along came along uh, along came the uh, Tom Swift Jr. books. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have a bunch of those. Uh, we have a lot of books on the Hispanic culture, Hispanic language, Hispanic history. I even found a book that was autographed by the wife. Get this. Autographed by the wife of, you'd never guess. Let me try and Pancho get Villar. Oh, okay. I was going to guess that. I was going to That's great. That's great. No, autographed by the wife of Pancho Villa himself. Man, that's crazy. And we, 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 we must have bought that book in a big bundle of books that I hadn't even come across yet. Yeah. But there it was. And we have another book that's a dictionary of sorts of uh, modern slang and everything. Modern and I saw slang, it list. really? Uh, well, it's modern slang, but like from the maybe turn of the century. Okay, right? okay, okay. We, we, we saw it at an auction house, another copy of it, for about 2,000 bucks. Mm. And we happen to have one in our collection, right? That's crazy. So to answer the question, what have we been doing during this pandemic? I've been teaching online. You know, I even taught in the summer online um, English and humanities courses or Spanish and humanities courses this time. But um, we've been, I've, I've been reading books. I've been developing a newfound appreciation for a lot of books that I've had. Yeah. Have you, have, you, have you developed an appreciation for a lot of the books that you have that you've already read? Have you revisited it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, Fahrenheit 451, for yeah. example, by Ray Bradbury, or even uh, some of the Philip K. Dick books or any of those. Uh, recently, I read, um, again, uh, The Martian Chronicles. Okay. Came across a book that we own, uh, autographed by Ray Bradbury himself. Um, many years ago, I told people that I'm... Um, like Doctor Who, I've had many manifestations, <laughs> many iterations before. Um, with one of the uh, uh, degrees, the English degree, uh, I studied the plays of Peter Schaffer. And recently, I, in our bundles of books, I came across two books autographed by Peter Schaffer himself. So I'm going through and reading a lot of that, uh, the theater text that we have. That's great. The uh, oh, Chicano-Hispanic literature books that we have, um, you name it. So to answer the question, yeah, we have been, we, we ended up buying six new six foot tall, three foot yeah, wide books. I remember you showing me that last time we had a little yeah, conversation. Book, and he, I yeah, think only had two at the time, right? F6. Nice. <laughs> yeah. no, well, and uh, they're not, yeah, they're not full yet. Um, yeah. But yes, uh, that's one of the things that we've been doing. We've been actually going through and unpacking and going through sure. so many things, but books, books and books seems to and be the terrific. theme. That's terrific. Did you mount a TV at all? Because they say, like, if you didn't mount the TV, you didn't do quarantine or something like that. I mounted a TV. I don't know. That's, that's a joke there. If you if you mounted a TV, if you if you didn't mount a TV, you didn't quarantine or something like that. I don't know. About the only thing I mounted was a discussion on certain <laughs> topics. That's about it. No, yeah. I haven't mounted a TV yet, but but I can, I'm working on it. Well, I'm but, a, I'm, a, yeah. 
I'm ecstatic that you're uh, um, you're promoting physical text because that's a big uh, that's a big thing that we promote here on this podcast is uh, uh, the physical text, the physical whether that's a, a book, uh, physical movies, whether that's in the DVD or the VHS form or even the reel to reel. We don't shy away from the reel to reel. Those are the good ones, the uh, 70 millimeters and the, the 30 millimeters as well, uh, and even just. Happiness, uh, yeah. Uh, just just having these physical items and and not like falling into the whole digital spectrum when it comes to the information because while you said you were unpacking all uh, all of these texts and all of all these subject matters on the bare bones of it you were unpacking information and uh, definitely uh, that is uh, I mean it's sure there's the www out there and stuff like that but when you have it here uh, it's right in front of you, and you can, I mean, you can read it once, you can read it endless amount of times, and it's yours. It's on, it's, it's, mm-hmm. is it a gift from the author? I, it's very possible for sure. Definitely. Well, you don't have, you don't, you don't have to plug in these things, you know, you can oh. open them up anywhere, everywhere. Yeah, you don't have to you plug know? them in, and you don't have to charge them, you know? Uh, and what's interesting is that um, uh, I have a massive collection, get this, of dictionaries. Hmm. And people say, why do you want dictionaries? I have dictionaries. One of them that comes to mind is Diccionario de Mexicanismos. Yeah. Dictionary of Mexican sayings. Multiple. And it's from like the 1940s, 1950s, you know. Yeah. And I have a whole bunch of uh, like Chilean, Spanish from Chile. um, And dictionary, a dictionary of symbols, you know, i.e. the Da Vinci Code and all that, what they mean, etc. Nice. And people say, why are you, what's your obsession with, with dictionaries? They go out of date, they say. My opinion is that it, each dictionary is a snapshot of language at that time. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I always tell people, um, language is a living, breathing thing. Yeah. It reflects the people who speak it, you know? Um, and what does that mean? You go back 10, 20, 30 years ago, we did not have, if you were to look at a dictionary from that time, we did not have email we did not have uh, Zoom, et cetera, in the context that we know them in today, yeah. right? So you look at the dictionary and you go, oh, that's interesting. You know, what, what did these words mean then? Yeah. What do they mean now? Back then, if you use text, you wouldn't use it as a verb. Yeah. A text would be the, th- the printed thing in front of you. Yeah, for sure. Nowadays, you say, text me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we find these words also impacting uh, other languages. In Espanol... No existía textear. In Spanish, the verb text did not exist. Yeah. And nowadays, mándame un texteo or texteame. Maybe it's more of Spanglish, perhaps. Yeah, but still, yeah. if, if we keep in mind that language is a living, breathing thing that reflects the people and the time, right, then it's going to continue to change. For sure. Who knows yeah. where we're going to be in 10 I, or 20 years. I think that builds off what we we're talking about, about adaptation mm-hmm. during this time. It's just an adaptation. Yeah. I mean, this is language adapting. Is it adapting to people or are people adapting the language? What is that? What is uh, it? That's, that's interesting. I think it's both, really. I mean, it's a, it's ebb and flow, give and take. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that the... Um, the people today, and I'm looking for some notes here that I took before. For sure. Um, we, we, we are having t- to make up words that reflect the reality in which we live. Yeah. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, get, get jiggy with it. Uh, <laughs> getting jiggy with it certainly would be one. Uh, but, you know, we, we take a look at the phrase social distancing. Yeah. 
We hadn't used that before. No, no, that phrase just popped up in February and or January, you know? Right, you know? Um, what other words have we had to come up with? New to normal? Yeah, to express the, here it is, to express the reality. And this is a note, uh, I take notes on my cell phone and everything. I said, I have always believed that language is a living thing that reflects a society that uses it. Given the current state of affairs, phrases like social distancing, self-quarantine, shelter in place, new normal, as you mentioned, uh, stay home, flatten the curve, coronavirus and COVID-19 have crept into our discourse. I wonder what new terminology and word combinations will be created to name, give action to, and describe emerging realities. Yeah. Isn't that an, yeah. an interesting thing? I mean, we have to come up with words to describe the reality yeah. in which we live. Um, we didn't have computers 10, 20, 30, well, 30, 40 years ago, right? Common computers, yeah. uh, as we do now. You know? So what kind of words, I wonder, are we going to be using in 40 years? Yeah. Or in 10 years for that matter. We don't know. They I mean, they change. doesn't Webster drop a new like batch of words every year? Yeah. What, what's interesting, well, that, um, Webster records them. Okay. Um, they take like polls and see what the popular new words are, something like that? Perhaps. Um, but what, what's interesting is that the Royal Academy of Spain is, to my knowledge, the only governing body of a living language. El Español. They say what we can or cannot say, what is proper or improper in Spanish. Yeah. You know, Webster's and the Oxford English Dictionary, they record it, but they, they're not telling us this is what you need to be or how you need to be saying it, right? But the Royal Academy of Spain does, and that's what's interesting. That's As a professor of Spanish, I'm always uh, looking to the Royal Academy of Spain to see, okay, now, what does this, what what are the new words coming in? Yeah. You know? I hear so, Anyway, um, that's the uh, that's the tangent on on, uh, on language. <laughs> uh, any other any other questions? I, because I'll go off on these tangents and <laughs> you got to throw me back in. All right, all right. So that was a good like little uh, uh, just general catch up and just a just a uh, right. introduction to uh, uh, to Doctor Diaz, Doctor Rolando J Diaz here. Um, but I think we can just let's hop into this question. So I got a question about your text. Uh, okay. and, and your text, and this is a huge plug. Do you want to plug it, or do you want me to plug it? Because I got uh, it, right and I can do some follow up as well. All right, all right, <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, all right. Oh, awesome, yeah. Rolando J. Rolando J. Diaz produced a book. Uh, what was the year? But hold on, hold on. Is 07? Copyright 07? Yeah. You had been work. How yeah. long? So when did you start working on this? If this dropped in 07, when did you start working on it? Because this I, book is I started working on it. It talks about the interesting. Yeah. In 07. Yeah. I started working on that in uh, 1991, okay. really 1989 is when the uh, idea germinated. What was happening at the time was that the, uh, the Berlin Wall fell. 91. Right. And uh, in, in 89, and then, you know, that aftermath yeah. uh, was still being felt in the early 90s. And um, the idea struck me, what if, wouldn't it be strange if because um, that's what science fiction really poses, you know, all the big what yeah, ifs. Yeah. What if, what if some leadership at some point in the future were to come along and say that they wanted to create a huge wall between the United States and Mexico? Yeah. 
much like the Berlin Wall had separated East and West Germany, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that's the question I posed then. The question uh, was supposed to be social commentary, supposed to be science fiction, supposed to be Chicano literature, social consciousness, social awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but lo and behold, as the time went by, as I was writing these stories, the Bush administration at the time started coming up with a, ideas. Hmm. But he wanted to build some kind of fence between the U.S. and Mexico. And certain portions were built then. And then time goes by, uh, Obama comes and goes, and we get the current leadership in uh, Washington. And this guy was one of the, one of his main talking points was the building of the wall between the yeah. U.S. And, the, uh, and Mexico. It still isn't so done. It, it still isn't done. Right. right. <laughs> and, and for me, what was to me, science fiction, speculative fiction, uh, asking the big what if back in the late eight, uh, 89 to 91, etc. And as the time goes by, went by. What I was posing, what I was writing about within the context of science fiction became reality with the current leadership, you know? That's kind of creepy. And what's, what's weird also is that some of the stories, the, the first one in the book, accounts uh, or t- tells a story of uh, a, a Latino Hispanic who loses his wallet in Austin of all places at mm-hmm. a conference. Right. Is that you? And uh, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, people ask me about that. Um, but you know, it, the idea struck what if you lose your, your identity, these little pieces of plastic that we use that it gives so much importance to. Yeah. If we, if we lose that, how are we supposed to then prove who we are? That's the crux of that. That's the message in that story. So this guy gets picked up. He's taken to a detention center. He sees the reality of, of uh, people being incarcerated. He sees uh, a child, again, uh, becoming ill and dying during the time that he's there. And this is Hado uh, Hypocrisy, right? Yeah, that's a short story. Yeah, Hado Hypocrisy. And... You know, toward the end, the little girl that he sees, she passes away because they gave her some asinine medication when she had append, uh, appendicitis, right? Yeah. Um, so eventually the guy was, is able to prove who he is and he's able to leave that situation. But imagine then as having written this, having published this, as time goes by and I'm observing all of these, the changing reality that we're in now. And then I see people being incarcerated, being put in detention camps. I see children being put in cages children dying, etc. You know, George Orwell, when he wrote 1984, he yeah. says, I wrote this as a warning, not as a blueprint yeah. for the future. And I tend to think that way also. I wrote Tales of the Tortilla Curtain as a warning. Don't go there. Look, this is what would happen. Not as a blueprint for, and I'm not going to say his name, but the yeah. uh, orange tinged yeah. person in the, in the White House right now. Um, for him and his administration to come along and say, hey, Dr. Rolando Diaz has this great idea. Let's put this wall up, you know? No, no, that's not what it's about, right? It's a warning, not a blueprint in the way. Yeah. But yes, uh, plugging this book, it came out in 2007. Um, it is available through Outskirts Press. Um, and I also if uh, am available to do Zoom meetings to discuss it, etc. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's divided into three different sections. Tales from the Tortilla Curtain is uh, the first section. 
The middle section has got um, kind of a Chicano Latino version of Back to the Future. Okay, I see you there across time, the Dravales yeah. del Tiempo. Uh, yeah, a través del tiempo. Uh, two Latino Chicano brothers somehow end up getting their hands on a time machine. Is that based on your It's called a, yeah, and uh, yeah, we're fic, fic, uh, fictional versions of ourselves. All right. Uh, and the uh, the time machine itself is called the Cesar Chavez, of course. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you know we we go through uh, at different points in time, um, again from the Chicano perspective of time travel. Yeah. And then the third the third section is called Aste el Behave o te Spanqueo. <laughs> That one is seriously uh, Spanglish, yeah. right? Yeah. Because one of the uh, one of the points that I would like to make is that our community, our Latino, Hispanic, Chicano community, we speak a blend of English and Spanish. You know, yeah. we may begin in English, pero podemos acabar en español, uh, and that's essentially a humorous look at our experience in the United States. I was at a um, at a laundromat once, and um, I saw. A very tired-looking mother with about three or four kids that were wreaking havoc all over the laundromat. And they must have really gotten on her nerve because finally, after all this noise and all of this uh, wrath and destruction on the part of the kids, Here we come. she screams Here we come. out <laughs> She screams out at the top of her lungs, Háganse el behave o los voy a espanquear. And I thought, oh my God, that's that's so us, you know. Um, so yeah, that's the, the the third portion of this book is uh, a humorous look at our, at our experience uh, and you can here see in the United the, States. The, the Spanglish in it, entrar entre the uh, dos cultura, culturas um, por why uh -huh. los nicknames, unos thoughts uh -huh. uh, um, chistoso, and uh, why we say and how we say it. Why we say why we say it. that's great. Or, no, 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 what we say. How we say it. There we go. Exactly. That's uh, uh, we were talking about uh, dictionaries before, yeah. and that is a brief list on my part of silly things that we say um, in English and Spanish. It says what we say and how we say it, because you know there's uh, in in uh, linguistics we what we would call cognates are words that are similar in two languages and they have essentially the same meaning, right? Like agony and agonia, alleviate, aliviar, delicious, delicioso, etc. So then, of course, putting my, my comedic hat on, um, let me see, what would be a good one? Oh, we're in um, the Halloween. The, the, the spooky month, the spooky month. Uh, spooky month, so let's look at page 332 of the All book. Right, it says, let's get, hold on, let's get, let me get there, let me get there, let me get there. And freaks and geeks, if you had this book at home, you should get it. And uh, we're going to go to 332. And boom, 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 uno y dos, y where are we at, where are we at, 30, there well, we go, all right, go for it. We're looking at the verb assustate. Okay. Assustate, in English, to frighten or scare, i.e. she was very assustated after she saw the scary movie and could not sleep all night. <laughs> Now that's of course making fun of the word or having fun with the word asustar in Spanish. Yeah. Estaba bien asustada. Right. So I take that and, and uh, Anglicize it, I guess. <laughs> Assustated. And now the other one that I really have been pushing for Where's it at? is on page three, on 333, uh -huh. one, two, three, fourth entry down, encabronate. Okay. Encabronate. 
Encabernate, to irritate or anger, to make irritable or angry. And here we put it in context. He did not get his way, so he became very encabernated. <laughs> now, in Spanish, we have the word encabronar. Or molestar. I, Is it molestar? Molestar? Yeah, molestar would be, it bothers you, bother. you know, not... Not, yeah, not but encabernated. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it is. But not to be, that would be a false cognate, molestar and molest, and molest in English. Yeah, molest yeah, is yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, would be different, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, molestar. But encabernate is, um, again, um, a word that I want to incorporate into the English language, into the English vernacular. I like Because, that. I like. you know, English absorbs culturally appropriates even many times so many words from other languages and what I'm telling our, our community is okay if English is going to take our words any, anyway let's incorporate some of our own yeah. on our terms yeah. and Cabernet being one of them you know if you wake up in a bad mood you can say I'm very encabernated this morning I need some coffee <laughs> you know or he wasn't cabernated because he stubbed his toe on the way out or something um, look at the second um Word there on page 333, uh-huh. chingate, uh-huh. chingate, to irritate, to bother, to otherwise mess with. He was chinganding so much that I told him to leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, we, we will use that, um, and I always uh, use this in class, as a learning moment. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Um, do you know what the verb chingar means in Spanish. It's the F word, right? Sort of. Doesn't chinga mean, excuse me, fuck? Like fuck. Like well, the, the F bomb? Yeah. It could. And as I always tell students, it depends on the context. Yeah. Now, yeah. let's go back in time let's in, our Cesar, Chavez, in our Cesar Chavez uh, time machine. Where are we going? We're going to go back to the time of the conquest. Uh-huh. Hernán Cortés. Right? Hernán Cortés uh, conquered the Aztecs in 1521. Right? He had a translator, Doña Marina, La Malinche, uh, Malinchín Tenepal, all names for the same person. Yeah. When you take a look at the essence of the meaning of the word chingar, it means essentially to violate. Okay. To violate. You put it in historical context and you think, well, where does a term, what does that have to do with our identity? What does that have to do with, with us as Chicanos and Latinos, Mexicanos, yeah. mestizos? Yeah. Um, side note, on the September 16th of every year, the uh, folks in Mexico City. De, de septiembre. The president of Mexico comes out on the, on the little porch there and looks out at the masses during the celebration. And he says, Viva Mexico, hijos de la chingada. And people go, hmm, is he cussing us out? Or what's going on here? Who are the hijos de la chingada? Yeah, and this all gets back to the verb chingate that we see in tortilla curtain, right? <laughs> so, so people <laughs> say, who, who was the exactly? Who was the original chingada? When you put it back in context, we go back to the uh, the time of the, of the Sp- uh, Spanish conquest of the New World. You realize that Hernán Cortés was the original 
person who conquered the Aztecs. He was the original violator who was being violated. La Malinche, the translator that he had, you know. Okay. So we see we in that historical context, she was the original Chingara. So when the Mexican president comes out and says, Viva Mexico, hijos de la Chingada, he's calling us that term saying, Viva Mexico, hijos de la Malinche. Does that word she, does that word make chingon in chingona? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, is, 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 is chingon in chingon in chingona like a reference to? Excuse me, like a bad motherfucker right there. Like a yeah, like, yeah well, that guy's a badass, it, it, right? Because we're looking at the term of empowerment of uh, violation. The person yeah. is he is, is being chingon. He's yeah. I mean he can do it. Yeah, yeah. you know he has that power. But I historically think, speaking, Samuel L. Jackson's a chingon for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and and again, it gives the person that's doing the chingar, uh, chingando, uh, a lot of power. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the chingada, the person that's on the receiving end of the chingar, then is uh, the the chingada or chingado, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. as time has gone by, that has become synonymous with. But the F bomb, as we know it. Okay, but, so that's, um, why I, that's why I thought it. That's what I mean. Back since yeah, yeah. Uh, what, like ninety three, ninety two? I always thought that that's what it meant. Uh, even until well, then, and in certain contexts, it does. But if you look at it historically, then uh, chingar again can mean to violate. You know, yeah. and I always have to to put that in there. Um, but yeah, there's other words here um, at the end of uh, of this book. Um, they are in English first, and then there's um, words in Spanish that are borrowed from English, like ansoris. Okay. What 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 is ansoris? We're looking at page three thirty four. Okay. Ansoris. Aquí no me vengas con tus ansoris. Don't come with me. Don't come to me with your ansoris. Basically, don't come to me with your ansoris. Yeah. You know, if if English. Or if languages affect each other both ways, then Spanish will be absorbing some of the English terminology as well. I think so. Let's see, even words like typear, to type, yeah. or bakear, to bake, or cachear, or the most interesting one I heard of, uh, when I was in Nebraska was uh, charapear. El hacer quieto o silencio, dice. No hagan ruido, charapeense, charapate. What does that mean? Literally borrowed phonetically from English, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. And then we put it, and then we put it uh, in the Spanish uh, spelling, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up, shut up. That's crazy. That's awesome. Isn't that well? Awesome. But that again gets back to the whole idea, you know, of, of, of uh, English or languages being living, breathing things. Yeah. And that's all in Tortilla Curtain. For sure. I never know. I mean, I knew this section was here, but I never noticed this. This is, I mean, it's very, uh, it's got a lot of humor. It's, it's, it's dark humor. I would say <laughs> for sure. You have <laughs> humor in it, but man, this is, I like that. Uh, this is included. Uh, I've read the biography, well, in, sure. uh, but, uh, in the, in the, in one of the stories, it says, um, something to the effect of, um, well, I, I can read it directly here. It's, um, yeah, go for it. No, that's wrong. Um, what book or what uh, what story is this one from? Let's see, 
Well, it's the at the end they're kind of the, the like a one story. Is it oh, uh, yes. a little bit behave? Yeah, uh, page three twenty nine. All right, and we are there. Unos thought chistosos. Of course, again, speaking Spang Spanglish, right? Yeah. And here it says, uh, the first one, Café Moco. El otro día, I had a Café Moco. Don't you mean a Café Moca? He <laughs> says, no, I had a Café Moco. I accidentally sneezed in my coffee. See, that's supposed to be funny there. <laughs> yeah, Café that's Moco. <laughs> that's kind of gross, but, you know, it, it, it struck me as funny at the time. Yeah. But... <laughs> But um, there's another one, El Susayer. When I was a chavalillo, it says, it was this vato que según él, he could tell the future. He said that the Mexican peso iba a ser worth more que el American dollar. También dijo que el Al Gore iba a ser el presidente de los United States. Este vato, he said one thing, pero nada salía, pero salía otra cosa. So we called him, we didn't call him uh, Nostradamus, we called him Nuestro Dumbass. He could never get anything right, you know. None of his yeah. predictions actually came yeah. true. Yeah. But see, it's uh, it's got a lot of Spanglish in there, you know. That's no, that's great. That's a great no, beauty of our of our mestizo uh, heritage. I want to build off the word chinga because um, mm -hmm. it's uh, I don't want to say it's impacted me. I remember my my grandmother on my mother's side disciplined me, disciplining me for saying chinga, and she was like, "Where'd you learn that word?" And I was like, "I learned it from you." <laughs> you know i mean uh, it was like but, yeah. and then i got in trouble i didn't say that because i wasn't uh, uh that smart you know as a child you're just like uh, uh uh i don't know i don't know where i learned that word but uh okay so the word chinga i'm gonna i'm gonna share something with you let's do that screen share this is my favorite all right all right all right now uh um what's his name chris uh ah, dang, dang it what's his name uh what, what the uh, the creator of uh, uh, X Files? What's his name? Chris. Uh, do you know it? Oh my goodness, I should know it. I'm supposed to know it. All right, let's go there. Chris Carter. Chris Carter. Is it Chris Carter? Oh, okay, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Chris Carter. There we go. There we go. Freaks and geeks. I didn't let you down. I knew it. All right. So mm -hmm. this is my favorite episode. Uh, this episode is uh, it's called Chinga. It is the tenth mm -hmm. episode of the fifth season of the uh, the series, The X Files. And freaks and geeks, if you don't know The X Files, you need to start off with the pilot of The X Files, where they go to oh, uh, uh, Oregon, not Oregon. They don't go to Oregon; they go to Oregon. Okay, so um, in okay. this episode specifically, ep uh, season five, episode ten, is uh, written by uh, Stephen King. Okay. The the name is called Chinga, and if you, I know you're a a a, a Twilight do 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 Twilight Zone episode, mm -hmm. Twilight Zone fan. Do you remember Talking Tina? Yes, I do. Okay, so Talking Tina is was the doll, and it was like a Talking Tina, and and uh, I, I I I've only seen that one once, but it's an amazing episode. You should go check out Talking Tina, and uh, um, also while I have you here, shout out to uh, uh, Doctor Rolando J. Diaz and uh, uh, what is it, Terror at nine thousand feet, or what, what's it called with uh, uh with Bill Shatner? <laughs> with Bill Shatner? Yeah, is is that what it's called? Terror? It's Terror yeah. or something? It's uh, oh, you, you I think Terror. 
I think it was Terry at 10,000 feet, perhaps. Terry yeah, starting Bill Shatner. It was 1,000 feet off. So that was, it's starting, <laughs> starting a young Bill Shatner. So y'all should check that out. Oh, well. definitely. So um, uh, going back to X-Files, this is called Chinga, which we, which I believed up until now to mean uh, the, the F word. But it's, it's more of a, a you know, BMF, uh, the, the like mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson word, I feel, at the moment. A chingon, chingona. So this episode, um, it's one of my favorite episodes. And it's called, it's, it, no, excuse me. It's my favorite X-Files episode. It doesn't feature Mulder so much, but it features more of a Scully. What does this mean to you that it's called Chinga? Did you know it was called Chinga? I've seen the episode, but I, uh, it's a great I don't remember episode. it being called Chinga. Yeah. It's a great episode. Um, it's, it's, uh, I forget what her name was, uh, uh, but it was, uh, it's about this doll. And, uh, very, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's worse than Chucky because it's, it's like, a uh, it's a doll and it's a, it's a, the child is the owner of the doll and the mother is just trying to guide the child and the doll is just like, I don't like you very much. And then you're dead or like, uh, 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 Oh, let's play with the matches. Let's play with the hammer. Let's play like, Oh geez. So in, in what this doll is essentially a possessed doll is Chinga Mm -hmm. in reference to the doll. It probably is because if you put it within the context of the Spanish language, Chinga means again, to violate, or it may be even to be empowered. Chinga may be, Either the verb. The girl had a lot of power. The the child had a lot of power because she had the doll. Yeah. 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 In that context, she would probably be, uh, what, the chingona, perhaps? Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, If we we can hear uh, chinga, the evil doll was created by uh, uh, sewing together virtuous doll parts, including an oversized head. Uh, And I think this is just like folklore. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, again, this is the, 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 at the aid of, of, uh, uh, Stephen King, the, the mastermind of one of the masterminds of horror. Um, but, uh, I might watch this tonight based off, uh, well, one, we're in October. Uh, cause, uh, uh, and then, uh, two, this is, uh, oh, it's like I said, it's, if, if the pilot, I wish the pilot was my favorite episode, but it's not, it's this one. It's, uh, it's such a great episode. See, but- you can do a comparative analysis again between this one and Takitina and yeah, Takitina yeah. also yeah, yeah. Um, battled against the, the abusive father of the little girl. Okay. So, so maybe if we put it in That's that context. That's interesting. Cause there yeah. was a father figure in this episode. It was only a mother, but she wasn't like abusive. She was all, she was very like a, a she didn't understand what was happening with the doll because Freaks and Geeks, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the episode, it starts off in a supermarket and like everybody in the, uh, excuse me, supermarket, grocery store. It starts off in a grocery store and everybody in the grocery store except for the child that possesses to- uh, the doll and the mother, they end up bleeding from their eyes. And again, Freaks and Geeks, it's October. We got to get spooky. We got to get creepy. Okay. Um, so um, she ends up, the, uh, everybody in the store ends up bleeding from their eyes except for the, the child and the mother. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, I, that's, that's more of a base off of uh, the word, uh, uh, the, the chinga word. Uh, so it would be I, interesting I, to ask uh, 
Uh-huh, go ahead. No, uh, uh, I mean, I just, I just see, I can see where now, finally, I can see where the, why they, they decided, because I always thought, like, why'd they name that Chinga, Chinga, Chinga? And uh, uh, I can see now that uh, uh, it's, it's kind of based off what the doll was able to do. Um, and, and uh, I don't know, it's fast, it's, it's fascinating now. It was fascinating then, um, but now it's, uh, I can see it. Well, and it'd be interesting to ask Stephen King himself, why, of all the words out there, yeah, did he use the, yeah. term, the word chinga for this, the title exactly. of this episode? Exactly, exactly. I mean, did you, did you, he, did you, sure. do you remember this episode? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should, I'm going to watch it. The, um, I hope you would watch it, because I'm going to watch it. I'm going to check it yeah. out. It's good. The, it, uh, I think uh, Stephen King is a very well-read person. Obviously, he's written so much, right? Yeah. Um, so he probably did read uh, Spanish literature or uh, Latino, Hispanic, Chicano folklore. Yeah. And he probably did come across the, the word chingar, you know, and he was able to infuse it. What, what's interesting to me is that it's still empowering, uh, in this context, the female characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? It very, so, much, it very much is. Yeah, so it's probably why he he called it Chinga, called the doll Chinga. And this episode aired February eighth, nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight. I think that was before The Sopranos, definitely. But uh, uh, man, and and uh, if you uh, freaks and geeks, if you haven't got into X Files, please do, please do. Uh, bear in mind when Mulder leaves, it kind of goes to shit, but then, you know, uh, 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 John, uh, what's his, what's the, the, the other agent that comes in the liquid dude from, uh, uh Patrick, uh, uh, what's his name? Patrick, uh, ah, dang, oh, okay. my fault, Patrick. Uh, he's also in Sopranos. He's also the liquid dude in Terminator too. He does an excellent job, but, uh, he's no, uh, David, he's no Fox Mulder. Um, do you like this series? Is this a series that you liked? Me, yeah. yeah, oh, definitely. We were X File fans from when they were being aired the first time. Who's your Who's your favorite character, if I may ask? Well, um, I like uh, really Fox Mulder and Dana Scully were yeah top notch. I mean, um, and, so you, uh, so, so you, you like the the antagonist more than the protagonist? Is that is that is that kind of an assumption? Well, those two kind of interchanged from antagonist to protagonist, depending on the episode, right? My favorite, um, my favorite character is the the cigarette smoking man. In all honesty, oh yeah, <laughs> because you don't know, you don't know a lot about him. Oh, and that's, so, that's, that's that, great. Uh, uh, what's it? William B. Davis. A hey, shout out to William uh, B. Davis because uh, uh, he's a Canadian actor. He's a he, he's still alive, uh, and he's still alive in the X Files. Uh, 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 realm as well even though he's been killed multiple times but uh, uh right. yeah william e davis is a is an excellent uh he's a, he's a classical classically trained canadian actor that came in and did this uh this beautiful show um most definitely all right all right so that's a that's a whole lot let's see what time do we got <laughs> it's a uh, 704 i think we started i think we're aiming toward like 725 if you got the time if oh, definitely, cool. definitely. And if you want to go over that, I'm I'm more than I get. Uh, I'm ready for it. But uh, I, w- I want to transition into. We've talked uh, the tortilla curtain. Um, I want to <clears> go back to your uh, your writings. Um, do you have a, a 
your future stories or writings do you have any do you what's the what's the next thing for for author dr rolando j diaz what's the next uh, what's the next thing well i've got multiple projects happening at this time um academically of course i keep uh, publishing various articles that appear in journals and everything i've got uh, a collection of poems that is called uh, Musas Rebeldes slash Rebellious Muses. Where can they and find they are it? In English. Where can the Freaks and Geeks find that? Well, it's, uh, it's, it, it hasn't been published yet. Okay, okay. Um, I've got that. It, that's one of the manuscripts that I have so far. Um, I've got another um, uh, project that I'm working on. Um, it's called um, The Tales of Casimiro Monclova. Okay. Casimiro Monclova is a satyr that's been around since uh, before the Roman Empire, and he's still around today. Uh, if you remember, a satyr is a half man, half goat uh, from Greek mythology. Is it a satyr? What? What? Oh, they call it something. What do they call it in uh, 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 the uh, wardrobe? Land the witch in the wardrobe is the same thing. Yeah, it was a satyr. Yeah. I feel like they call what do they they call it something else in The Shining. What's it? Uh, not a satyr, but a uh, uh, like Bacchus or no? Go go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up really quick. I, I can keep going. <laughs> okay. Keep going about the satyr. Yeah. The the the, the idea uh, with uh, the Casimiro Monclova tales is that it's about a uh, a satyr, a half uh, half man, half goat, who uh, has been has seen so much history. Uh-huh. And his stories start from uh, pre-Roman Empire, living in the land of Latium, where we get the term Latino from in the Latin language. He lives through the entire uh, conquest of uh, the Iberian Peninsula by the uh, the Romans when they came through with Latin, etc., with their Latin. And um, he crosses the uh, this ocean during the conquest of the New World. He's one of uh, Hernán Cortés's sailors. Um, he lives through the uh, the evolution of all these different countries. He lives through the Chicano movement of the 1960s and 70s. Um, but the thing is, you know, he can change his appearance. He's a satyr, yeah. But he can uh, he can appear human, and then at will he can then assume the appearance of a of half man, half goat of a satyr. In the shining, they Cassidy. call it the the monitor, monitor, uh, uh, minotaur, minotaur. Min- yeah, there we go, minotaur, minotaur. Yeah. But but the the Minotaur is a little different. He's he's a body of a man with a head of a bull. Oh okay 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 I got you there. <laughs> so you. this one so this one is the um, again he's got the, the legs of a of a, of a goat yeah. and uh, the upper torso of a, of a human being. Now what started this whole collection of short stories was a uh, story that I heard that I uh, wrote about. It was published in Nuestra Cultura magazine, I think around 2005, 2006. Okay. There's an urban legend in the southwestern part of the U.S. Um, where this community is having a big old party, mm-hmm. uh, probably like at a, in, in, this, in my story, it was at the VFW. So this small town is having a, a, a dance at the VFW. And, uh, and he shows up. Let me see. I can probably find it here. 
Go for it. All right. Um, so Dr. Diaz right now is pulling out uh, uh, some some more context from the mini library, not the large library, not the uh, the library for display. This is the the personal library. So it's a little bit more uh, intimate. Uh, uh, he can go. He can just move the chair, swivel the chair. Uh, what is that? Uh, uh, 180 degrees and, and pick this uh, context out. Yes. Yeah, so this. Uh... I'm trying. Now you're yeah. fine. The um, the uh, a character shows up, and it's um, a very good-looking man shows up. He sweeps all the women off their feet. He is. Uh, he dances with all the women. He befriends all the men. Here it is. Um, it's called When a Handsome Man Comes Calling. Okay. You gonna read it? Uh yeah, I can. Uh this is from August of two thousand seven, about the same time. Did you write this? And let me see. Yeah, it says um and this is a it's a one page short well, one page. Okay, I've got cool. Okay, yeah, I've got the full story. It says uh Stories or cuentos that were published in Western Cultura magazine in 2007. Okay. It says, uh, there is a West Texas legend that has been perpetuated for many years. It's true. It really happened to the friend of a cousin of a neighbor who heard it from a guy who was there when it happened. <laughs> <Tell me>. uh, <laughs> the story goes something like this. It says, um, there was a community dance going on. All of the people from the town were there. All the el eligible men and all of the eligible women were there to see if they might, you know, find their future spouse. Yeah. They say he showed up right along with everybody. He was there having a great time just like everybody else. All the women thought he was really handsome. They could not keep their eyes off of him. He was smooth and quite a debonair man. All the men in the crowd took notice of him and how, uh, how the women admired him. The thing is, they did not take offense to him. In fact, they wanted to befriend the man. He seemed to be the sort, of, uh, the sort that you could trust your sister with. You wanted to be his best friend, or so they say. It might have been the beer or the wine or whatever they were drinking, but nobody seemed to mind that he was dancing with all of the women. Yeah. He simply went from one woman to the next, always sweeping them off their feet. He loved the attention and all the manner in which, you know, and the manner in which he treated them. Well, they loved the attention. And um, as time went toward the midnight hour, they say his mannerisms changed. He started to get rough with the women. He started to take liberties with the women that the women did not appreciate. Soon one of the women slapped him and all the dancing stopped. It was deathly quiet. One of the men approached him and tried to ask him to leave, but he refused. He said it was because of him that they were all there. It was not that he had come to see them. They had come to see him. One man followed the uh, man's footprints up on the floor and noticed that they looked like cloven of prints. When his gaze reached the man's feet, they were cloven hooves. Yeah. The strange, strange visitor was half man and half goat. 
That's crazy. Something is. No one had noticed this before. Everybody had been having such a great time with a stranger that nobody had noticed that he was not like any of them. Then they started to smell the strong odor of sulfur. Uh-huh. The man's okay. voice, the man's voice grew deep. His eyes grew, uh, glowed red. He looked from the center of the group and landed by the door, let out the most evil sinister laughter anyone had ever heard. He threw open the door and disappeared. The smell of sulfur lingered there for the rest of the night. To this day, nobody knows who the man was or why he was there. Some say it was a devil himself. Others say it was a brujo or witch man who lived in the outskirts of town. The man was ugly in everyday life, but they say he used magic or magia to make himself handsome at least for one night. Sounds like me. You know? Yeah. And the story concludes. <laughs> You're funny. The story concludes. It says, uh, they say this really happened some 30 years ago to the friend of a cousin of a neighbor who heard it from a guy who was there and swears by it. So... The next time you go to a dance and see a handsome man sweeping all the women off their feet and refraining all of the men, take special note of his feet. Are you wearing expensive shoes or you might just have cloven hooves? In either case, take care when you see him. Because you never know. That's creepy. That is very creepy. Happy Halloween, freaks and geeks. But that's very creepy because I, I if if I'm not a dancing individual, a bailando, bailando, bailan, uh, whatever, an individual that dances a lot. Bailandisto, I think that's the word. Bailarín. Bail, yeah, bailarín. Yeah. But I, I was trying to make it mas- masculine a little bit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> okay. I'm no male dancer, but. Whenever I do go to these uh, dancing functions, whether it be a wedding or this, that, and the other, a party in general, I always make sure that my feet look good. That there you go. You see, that and is- see that? That's why we needed to, to read that story because uh, you never know. You know, you look down and you see someone with cloven feet. Yeah. It could yeah. Be- it's pretty creepy. That's pretty creepy. The thing is, uh, that, that, that is an urban legend. Yeah. Um, and I've heard it from more than a few sources. Man. Uh, sometimes, in, in some versions, they have it uh, where he's got chicken feet. Oh, really? You know, but in the version that I wanted to go with was uh, the, the guy with cloven feet. And then the more I studied uh, Greek mythology, I thought, what if this guy actually was a satyr who yeah. survived all the, you know, 2,000 years? Yeah. And he's and he's still around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you look at the, the Greek god of wine, Bacchus yeah. was a satyr. Yeah. So that's why he's able to to entice all the women and befriend all the men. So there's some supernatural stuff going on there, Holmes. For sure, for sure. Let me ask you this question, Doc. because uh, mm-hmm. we're we're both docs in some sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. How long and this is a small sidetrack, very sec a very small how, how how far past seven thirty can you go? Because uh, you let me know. fine with going. Yeah, you right, tell so me. Let, all right, well, let's go. You it, tell me because I don't I don't want to take away from you. Because like I'll wake up. No, 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 no. I'll wake up tomorrow at five five o'clock and get ready for the five a.m. five k. Shout out five a.m. five k. But <laughs> I, you, you just kind of like a peel the bandaid off and uh, uh, of super nat- natural naturaleza. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I, I kind of want to talk about a few things. I do want to talk about your role in the Chicano movement, but I, I want to use that mm. as the closer. Let's use that as the closer. Okay. Um, I do want to talk about wine because I know you're a man of, of the vino, of the grapes, mm-hmm. of the wine. I know you appreciate mm-hmm. that. So let's let us let's go into ah, dang, and this is the most influential Latino. But let's let's go into your thought on the spooky slash the supernatural slash aliens, and then mm-hmm. we'll we'll dabble into a little bit more. But I want to know about okay. your thought on that because you've told me stories. You've told me stories about mm-hmm. a man with the hat and El Paso. Um, but but mm-hmm. I don't know about your your uh, your uh, soup your alien stories. I got I was reading this book. Let me show you this book really quick. And it's it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, physical. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard? Have you ever seen and or heard or do you possess this book? This is Communion by Whitley Stryber. Communion. I've got that book and the sequel. It's, I have that I book and the book. That... I don't have the sequel, but it's so oh, creepy. Yeah. I was reading it and and. <laughs> And in my in my home, my uh, my bedroom, my uh, domicile used to be uh, uh, it used to look out into just pastures, and I was reading this book at the time, and it was just creepy. It would freak me out. <laughs> uh, um, what's your thought on on the aliens? What's your thought on the supernatural? My, I'm not going to tell you my thought at the moment, but what's what what do you think? Is are there aliens among aliens among us, and should we believe? Well, let me begin by saying that um, uh, I forget the science fiction author who said this, but um, it may have been Stephen Hawking himself. Um, If we are the only ones in this universe, we are either the first or the last. (laughs) Think about it. Because... Um, it's an awful waste of space out there. Yeah, I mean, of, when you really lot. think about it, to cross even our own galaxy billions and billions of light years just to go from one point to the other, we literally, you know, we literally just broke the sound barrier this past century, right? Yeah. We don't, we haven't done the whole Star Trek warp speed thing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it makes no sense for us to be the only life in this universe. Or in the in the multiverses, if you begin, if you believe the, yeah. the multiverse concept, yes. and or multi dimension, so, or is that the same exactly. concept? Well, no, multiverses, multi dimensions, they, they yeah. can be, yeah. they can be uh, connected, but uh, probably can be different as well. But um, are there are there aliens um, on this planet? Have there been? Uh, I strongly believe that there are. You take a look at the history. You take a look at the. Um, um, the evidence that we found, and I'm not trying to be like an alien theorist or anything. I'm just taking a look at some of the the evidence that we've looked at uh-huh. or that we've seen before. Uh, something as simple or as famous, let's say, as the pyramids. Oh. We see pyramids in Egypt. You know, we see pyramids in Egypt. So much. Oh, <laughs> go, 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 go. We see pyramids. Well, we see the parallels in construction. Pyramids they're in there, Egypt. They're pyramids there. In, in pyramids in Mexico. Pyramids in South America, you know, we see all this evidence um, that of uh, huge stone monuments that mm-hmm. the heads in Easter Island, etc. That the technology of the time would at the have, time at the time, you know, yeah, would have been impossible to use to construct all of these massive uh, uh, monuments. 
or to even tell others that this is how you do it because mm -hmm. these 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 figures these buildings these constructions they uh, they they happen in one part of the globe and then they also happen on the other part of the globe but you got to think about like mm -hmm. at that time like you said at the time how how do you know that we were doing how did we share this information we had to have shared this information right it couldn't have been yeah. right. we had to have we had so does that mean we were sharing information way back then without technology and if that does how were we doing it well i think we were sharing it using the technology of the time yeah and what was it? what that technology what that technology was has been lost you know i mean did we we obviously did not have google and we not no. did not have wi-fi or, or yeah. all of this technology we have now yeah or did we or some some form of it it's hard you to know say. some people speculate some people speculate that the pyramids were huge uh electricity conducting instruments uh, and you keep uh, someone like tesla in mind Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, who was mm -hmm. who was experimenting with with electricity, and shout out to we see shout out to Trent Albert from episode one who brought up Nikola Tesla. <laughs> see, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. No, you see cultural elements as well. You see physical traits. Uh, there is these stone, huge stone heads in Latin America. I mean, we're, we're talking; they weigh several tons. Some of them, the Mayan know? ones, the Mayan ones, are huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take a look at the facial yeah. features, and they're yeah. African. Yeah. How, before the conquest, could there have been African folks in the Americas? And yet we see those faces, right? Yeah. And we see a lot of those faces with Asian traits. And you think, how did that happen? You take a look at even uh, something like Stonehenge. Those pieces of stone that make that circle weighed tons. Yeah. How did they do it? Wow. Using the technology of the time, you know? And I look at that um, as, as evidence that uh, we probably most assuredly have been influenced, if not downright visited by the, uh, the aliens, uh, non-earthlings. For, sure. For sure visited. You know? For sure visited. <laughs> I, I think so. And perhaps, perhaps we're still here. Perhaps. And that is what I did there. <laughs> Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps we're still here. Perhaps because, and, and and that brings up another issue. Um, if you believe the whole uh, issue of God creating man, etc., that's wonderful. I'm, I'm not I'm not knocking uh, Christianity or anything like that. No, no, no. But what? But there was, and again, this is the for Greeks and geeks out there. The Greeks and geeks. <laughs> Shout out to the freaks and geeks. Yeah, um, there was an episode in uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation uh -huh. where with, they were looking with, for uh, artifacts. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. With Patrick Stewart and, and yeah, his Patrick, cast. With, with Pat, with Pat. Yeah, and um, the whole it, it was a multi-episode uh, story where they were looking for these artifacts that led to a great discovery. What they came to find out was that there was an alien race that had literally seeded. Um, so many planets with DNA and started the evolution of all these different races and all these different worlds. So I'm wondering then, I know that's science fiction, but uh, you put it in, in context, I guess, of our reality. Um, if conditions ex existed on this planet 
did another um, a race of aliens, for example, what we would call God, what we would call the angels, etc. Did they seed this planet and start the evolutionary process that we have evolved to today? That's crazy. You know? That's crazy. Um, some people, some people say that we all share the same DNA. Yeah. Uh, up to a certain point, you know, that makes us the human race. So I wonder, and that's why I say we're still here because I wonder if we are the aliens that came to this planet. It's interesting. You know what I mean? That's it. That's that's very interesting. I haven't even thought about through. I haven't even thought about th- that through uh, listening to Eddie Bravo. Shout out Eddie Bravo. But uh, uh, yeah, what if what if it's us? What if we? Yeah, did we it? are the aliens. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Oh, boy, vey, that's a, that's a mind blown. That's a he- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so uh, uh, let's 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 chill out for just a little bit, <laughs> okay? Let's uh, before we before we go into more uh, uh, Chicano talk, because that's all I have to talk about uh, about aliens, and and you 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 hit the nail on the head. I do want to talk to you uh, about wine, vino, uh, whether it's uh, red or whether it's white. But because uh, um, the last time I visited you, you showed me this box, una caja de vino, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and it had a bunch of a bunch of little uh, uh, accessories for the, uh, for wine. And I never knew you were such a, a a big wine head. And I've started to dabble in it. Uh, I've started to dabble into natural wines. Shout out Action Bronson. Shout out uh, uh, um, Only for Dolphins, the new album that dropped recently. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. Um, but uh, tell me about tell me about your just exploration with wine. I didn't know you were uh, deep into to that type of stuff. Well, um, for most of my life, I've been into wine. I usually like the dry red wines. Okay. Um, What's your favorite now in, uh, a Merlot or a Malbec or something like that? Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. All right, go for it. <laughs> in, in summer of 2013, I had the, uh, the opportunity to teach, to live in Spain, in Sevilla, Spain. Uh, Texas Tech University has a campus there. and um, I got a three-month contract to go over there and teach um, Spanish in Spain to Texas Tech students. When I was there, <clears throat> I, uh, my, my passion for wine went, you know, it grew exponentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to answer the question, the uh, my, my favorite wine is a dry red wine, full-body red. red wine. Excellent. Excellent. Um, a Rioja wine. The parallels to that would be like a, like a Merlot or a Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay, I love a Merlot. Um, I live for Merlot. Oh, definitely. And it's good for the heart, too, the, the yeah. red wines are, you know. Um, I am not so much of a fan of the the sweet ones, yeah. I guess. The whites. Um, but that's not, yeah, that's not to say that there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. The Zinfandels yeah. tend to give me a little bit too much heartburn <laughs> at times, too acidic. Um, but, you know, that's not nothing against that, those wines. But I think um, probably a glass of wine every now and again is a good thing. Uh, it pairs certainly with uh, some dark chocolates or chocolates yeah. overall. Did you ever um, go to that uh, Llano Estacado in the Estacado in Lubbock? Uh, we enjoyed their wine, but we never went there. Yeah, uh, I, I got I, to go. I got to go there, but I didn't get to enjoy their wine. I was a minor when I went there. 
Okay. But I've I've enjoyed their wine since, and they got some really good stuff. I I, I like their stuff. Yeah. One of the one of the wines I do like is called a rare rare blend. Um, and uh, if you're a Texan, uh, you know HEB, and I, I I personally can only find it in the uh, the Harold Edward Butt store. I think that's his middle name. Uh, but the mm-hmm. HEB, I can only find it at HEB. Um, but it's a very it's it's a decent wine. Uh, it's like a thirteen point five percent, so it's not like a natural wine. Uh, it's a it's a high ABV wine. But uh, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever had that, but it's the rare rare blend. Uh, and if you haven't had it, it's, it's not bad, but it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's not a natural wine per se. Now, what's neat is that all these wineries are popping up all over, uh, the area like Kerrville, Texas yeah. has a lot of wines yeah. and that's, that's great to see, you know, it's, um, it's, especially for them, uh, I guess what we would call microbreweries. Yeah, um, there are uh, wines in Del Rio, Texas, as well. Some in San Antonio. All of these are Texas wines, so um, they they are award winning wines as well. Very comparable to the ones from Europe. Yeah, you know uh, what's interesting is that Champagne itself has to come come from that region in France. Really? Yeah. Over here, we can call it Champagne. We can create the exact same product, but we have to call it sparkling wine because it sure as heck ain't gonna be Champagne. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny. I hear you. Have you ever tried? Have you ever dabbled into uh, home home wine making or anything like that? Not home wine making. At one point, I bought a beer kit that I never used. Yeah, uh, we moved right before, right when I was wanting to use it. But um, uh, that's on my bucket list. Someday I still, I I still have it, but it's just so expensive. When like, sure, you could. I mean. Excuse me, I'm gonna dabble into home brewing for a little bit. You can make it on the extract spectrum, but I, no one wants to make extract product. You you want to do it as, at the uh, at the grain level or the grape level. You know, you want to do it like like the people that uh, uh, that that are making it that you like. That you want to do it just like them. Um, that that's my opinion. In in all honesty, like I bought a lot of this stuff just to make a grain beer. A, a, a malt, excuse me, malt extract beer, an extract beer. And uh, uh, I was like, I don't, I'm not going to make an extract beer because that's not what my, the people I, I look up to are making. So I, I discovered that it was going to take a lot more money to try and do what they do on a small homebrew level. And I must, I still have all the stuff I'm trying, but it's uh, to try and do it on a on a small scale level of the major production company i mean it's 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 a it's it definitely takes a lot of money to for a small output it's kind of like crawfish but uh, i think i'd rather buy crawfish than continue to try and be a a home brewer if i if i i don't know excuse excuse me if i offend anybody out there but uh, uh yeah that's that's my take on it so you you're a red wine guy red or a, a dry wine guy and that's cool um, yeah 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 my wife is a is a more of a white wine and a sweeter a sweeter uh, a connoisseur what about lou what is, does, she, does she take on the grapes or uh, uh no for the grapes? yeah yeah she, uh, she likes the uh the moscato the sweet wines so that's the group that's yeah. the, the white ones right yeah 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 i hear you I so hear you. Have y'all ever dabbled into natural wines? Natural wines have a lower alcohol volume content, but they're, oh my goodness, they're delicious. I mean, like, 
like typically my wife would purchase a, a Moscato at like a 12 to 13%, but I went and purchased her another one on the natural level that was only 5%, but it was much better in, in the taste in the, in the body than it was uh, uh, in comparison to uh, the 13%. See, and natural wines also don't have sulfites. A lot of folks are yeah. allergic to sulfites, and uh, my wife is allergic to sulfites. And it's also these sulfites that, and other preservatives that give you the hangover. Yeah. So, yeah. if you want to stay away from that, from that, then you might want to go with a natural wine. Yeah, the natural wines are, are, are really good. I, I definitely, uh, uh, I'm an advocate for them, and so is, a, and I'm an advocate for uh, Action Bronson, and, and he's the individual that put me on to natural wines for sure. Yeah. Um, good thing so, I hear you there so we're it's 7.33 I think we should close it out with uh, with two final questions my first question for you is I'd like for you to, to discuss uh, well you can you can pick whichever one you want to start off with I want you to discuss your role in the Chicano movement the modern Chicano movement because I mean you do have one you've been put you've been working your ass off at uh, at uh, uh, to to put something into the modern Chicano movement, I feel. And then I also want to talk about and compare with mine, uh, your most influential Latino in your life. And that'll be the closer. I think we could do that. So your role in the Chicano movement, the modern Chicano movement, if we may, if I may, and then uh, to close it out, I want to talk about our, and compare our influential Latinos in our life. So, uh, okay. The, well, um, gosh, where do I begin? Where do um, I begin? <laughs> right now, I'm, another manuscript that I'm working on, and I've been working on it for a while, um, it's called The Chicano Legacy in the 21st Century. Okay. And okay. it includes a lot of the articles that I've written that I've published academically, but it also includes a lot of uh, interviews that I've done. Mm -hmm. The um, first interview that comes to mind uh, is Jose Angel Gutierrez. He was a leader in the Chicano movement in the 1960s in Crystal City, okay. the Mexican-American okay. youth organization. Crystal City, you know? shout out Popeye, shout out Spinach. Keep going. Exactly. That's the capital of Texas, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, Jose Gutierrez um, was one of the main leaders there uh, in the Chicano movement. He led a lot of the blackouts and boycotts, etc. Um, and um, another author that I've interviewed is Victor Villasenor. Shout out to him as well. Um, he wrote um, books like... Um, Reign of Gold and Burro Genius, etc. Uh, another author that's in that uh, manuscript at this point is um, Henry Cisneros. I got to interview him in San Antonio nice, a few nice, years back. Nice. For the first Hispanic, well, Hispanic mayor in, in, uh, in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the uh, the other another author that's in there is Lucha Corpi. Uh, she wrote. Uh, what was that? Um, a series of detective novels facing a, uh, featuring a Chicana detective, yeah. uh, Gloria Damasco. And cool. um, all of these are, are key figures in the, in the uh, Chicano movement. Um, also in Crystal City in the late 60s, there was a, a teacher um, 
his name is Juan Andrade, and uh, he was teaching history. And he looked up into his class and he realized that they all had this blank look on their in, in their eyes. Yeah. Uh, and he asked them, yeah. um, would you like me to teach this lesson in Spanish? And everyone raised their hands. <laughs> so he started teaching history in Spanish, right? We have to well, take into consideration that, that Crystal City is very close to the border in Texas. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Massive Hispanic community, a Spanish-speaking community. So a few days go by, the cops show up and arrest him because it was illegal for him to teach Spanish or to teach his courses in Spanish. Yeah. Well, they went through the whole legal battle. He was finally exonerated. He went to Chicago. That's where he landed after leaving Crystal City. Yeah. And there he established the United States Hispanic Leadership Institute. Yeah. Um, and for the past, I think they recently celebrated their 35th anniversary. They've been uh, sponsoring the United States Hispanic Leadership Conference. Why that is a massively important conference. Uh-huh. And I know, I know you have a major, major like part in that. But why, why is there so many Chicanos in Chicago? And why does Chicago well, sound so much like Chicano? <laughs> there's certain theories on that, yeah. um, but uh, there's a massive uh, Hispanic Chicano community there. There's uh, a there's massive, massive like there's like black community there, right? Because the, the yeah. blues artist of, of yesteryear, they either came to you know whether it was Texas or I mean it was in Texas, Louisiana, or you know just these southern southern areas, or they went up to Chicago to play the electric blues. But that's on on the black mm-hmm. spectrum. Why did why did the uh, uh, Chicanos? Why did the Latinos and Latinas go up there? Well, there were um, different reasons. I think one of them was uh, job opportunity. Uh-huh. Back in the uh, in the early to mid part of the 20th century, folks migrated to where the jobs were. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them ended up there because of the uh, uh, being migrant workers. Yeah, it's also the big city. There was technology. There was industry up there as well. Yeah. Um, uh, history shows that. Um, certain waves of immigrants end up in certain parts, right? Um, in the southwestern part of the United States, we have a lot of Mexican and descendants of Mexicans yeah. who settled there. Yeah. Now, when the next wave came through, people were already there, so they had to keep going further north Yeah, okay. with each wave yeah. of immigration. Okay. Okay. So then okay. a lot of folks ended up going as far as as, uh, as uh, Chicago, etc. The state of Michigan, and some folks have have asked this question before. They say Michigan. Hmm. Where does that term come from? It sounds a lot like Michoacan. Yeah, yeah, it does. In Mexico. And some folks have posited maybe, if you go back far enough, that there may be some sort of etymological word, historical uh, connection between the two. You know, some people say, no, that's just BS, it's not real. But other folks have said, hmm, what if, you know, way before the conquest, maybe there was a connection. There was a time, as you know, before this country ever came to be, that folks would migrate north and south between the, let's say, the Canadian lands all the way down to the southern yeah. tip of Chile, you know. So uh, maybe there is a connection there. Chicago and Chicano. Um, Chicano itself has a has a... A specific origin, and I can tell you about that if you wish. 
Tell tell us the freaks and geeks because I'm almost okay. sure there's a couple of freaks and geeks. There has to be some freaks and geeks that fall under Gano e Chicana category. So go for it. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes people say, "Well, are you a Chicano?" And I say yes. And they say, "Are you a Hispanic?" I say yes. Are you a Latino? I say yes. Um, each of these terms has its own has its own history. The term Chicano came about in the late. 1950s, early 60s. Um, back then, the, the community, the Latino Hispanic community was trying to figure out uh, how to identify themselves. We're, we were facing so much uh, oppression in this country that we needed something to hold on to. And the leaders of the time did not want to stay within the time frame after Columbus. Mm-hmm because a lot of the oppression that we're experiencing came about after that, right? They wanted to go prior to, they wanted to go to pre-Columbian realities. So they identified the Mexicas. The Mexicas, Mexica is where Mexico gets its name. It's spelled M-E-X-I-C-A, right? Mm -hmm. The Mexica was another term for the Aztecs themselves another name for the Aztecs themselves. So uh, in the 1950s and 60s, late 1950s and 60s, the Hispanic community here was trying to reconnect with something, with their cultural roots. Yeah. So they identified the Mexicas. Um, at that point in history, like in the 1600s, uh, Mexica was pronounced Mexica with a soft A, uh, yeah. soft sh. Yeah. And then as uh, time went by, it became the fricative Mexica that we know today. So then um, we go back to the 1950s and 60s. Mexicano was the term when we dropped the M-E. So we then became Chicanos. Chicanos. We dropped the M-E, became Chicano. Um, And that is the the term that, that grew to identify us. Okay. The the issue with that term, however, is that it applies to Mexicans and the Mexican Americans, descendants of them. Yeah. Um, if you look yeah. at if you look at the historical definition of it, then if you're Puerto Rican, Cuban, etc., yeah, you're excluded because it doesn't apply to you necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you can't be part of the Chicano movement. Not that you can't be part of the cause and everything. But, but then you're part of the Cubano movement if you. Exactly, or Puerto Rican and everything, yeah, yeah. and and that um, that's the history of the Chicano term. You know, um, as history went by, the sixties, seventies, eighties, etc., the term Chicano took on a uh, militant, radical, in-your-face. I'm going to stand up against this oppression kind of like a, feeling like to a, it, like a Black Panther or something. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, we had the Brown Berets as okay. part of the Chicano movement in, okay. Crystal, in Crystal City. Yeah, We were growing up yeah. um, in Eagle Pass, which was 45 miles away. We were living through history and we didn't even realize it. Yeah. Right? We were kids at the time, but we'd see the Brown Beret movements. We would see the, uh, the, the protestas, the huelgas, etc. Um, what's, what's interesting is that nowadays, a lot of uh, today's young people they don't really identify with a Chicano yeah. because it's, it's almost like a dated term, you know? Yeah. And here at the university, I always try to incorporate some element of the Chicano experience For sure. into what I teach. For sure. 
Thank you. Now, my now my my role in the Chicano movement has been really after the fact, because I was on, I was maybe six to, and those were my growing up years, in other words. Um, but I have but done I, a lot I, of. I think, uh, you, I think you have a large role in the modern Chicano movement. Not, I mean, because sure, you can't in, influence what you what the movement of your of your like childhood, but you can influence the movement of of. Uh, uh, your presence or your future, I feel, and I feel you really, you've really had some sort of impact in in the future because I know that you've you've done these uh, these lectures and and you've traveled to Chicago uh, and and yeah. and talked and um, you've done a whole lot of traveling, um, and uh, I think that's where where you bleed into the future. Uh, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, um. Yes, as as a college professor, I try to incorporate a lot of the Chicano experience into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and, and I think that's why that manuscript, the uh, Chicano Legacy of the Twenty First Century, is so important because it really is a, a reminder that there is still a Chicano element in us. Yeah. You know, and getting these perspectives from all these different leaders uh, is is a good thing um, because it's still alive and well. You know. The, Chica- the term Chicano should be used today. Yeah, um, for sure. I teach humanities, yeah, sure. and I, I teach humanities, and I incorporate it in there. You know, I teach uh, Chicano lit or Hispanic literature, and I put it in there as well. So it's a it's an important thing. Um, my role in the Chicano movement, I think, is to record it, yeah. to try to identify as many Chicano leaders as I can from the past uh, to get their ideas um, and to make sure that their that their history. It's not forgotten. For sure. Know. For sure. Uh, Excellent. To, that, to introduce the movement. I feel like I take that role when it comes to like the host, uh, a music historian. Because Freaks and Geeks, I don't know. I don't know if you know, but like I've been recording all the music for this podcast. Um, I'll break the news to you right now. I've been recording all this music for this podcast. And uh, um, I feel as a, as a Texas, a Texas musician, which I am, um, I am, I don't know, uh, uh a historian of the past. Um, and I feel that's what you are as well, uh, in reference to, uh, the Latino context in reference to the, uh, uh, the Chicano movement as well. Yes. It's important to know your history, you know, oh, and definitely. That in all the, pres- oh, in all the presentations that, that I give, it's, uh, I always, um, want to empower students, empower any, any of the listeners, you know? Yeah. Um, because, if we don't know where we're coming from, we don't know, we can't figure out where we're going and we're going to repeat the same mistakes, you know? Um, exactly. So it's important to, to know. Um, what are the things? We've got other terms that we use, you know, not just Chicano, but Hispanic and yeah. Latino. And I've got a, a presentation where I cover that as well. Um, in your Spanish that may be a, Yeah. Uh, in fact, in the spring semester, I'm teaching... Uh, Hispanic uh, culture and civilizations. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy because that's that's more what you're. I I feel what you're trying to instruct at this point in time is more life than language. But 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 yeah. what's the difference between life and language? Is the the other question? I, well, you know. Yeah. Well, um, and as we c- talked about already, uh, yeah, language is a living thing. So life, exactly. language reflects life. Exactly. You know, language evolves depending on where life takes us. Yeah. You know, and um, so 
in this day and age with technology that we have, we can speak to someone sitting next to us as easily as we can speak to someone um, speaking to, uh, from Durant to Lockhart. You're in Lockhart now, right? No, no, Buda. <laughs> as Buda, easily. No, no, Buda, Buda. Buda, sorry. Yeah, Shout so, out Lockhart. So, so you're in Buda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, that means that our means of communication should also evolve. And in my opinion, uh, knowing more than one language is vital. It's it's definitely. necessary. It's yeah, definitely for for us yeah. to be able to communicate. You know, I'm because glad. we can speak I'm, to someone. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm glad. I'm just, I'm just going to say I'm glad. I know three, but you were going to say because we can speak to someone in more than more than one language. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone said in Espanol. They said. La persona que habla un idioma vale por uno. La persona que habla dos vale por dos. And so forth. The person that speaks one language is worth one person. This person, the person who speaks two languages is worth two people. You know, and if you speak three, four, five, so much the better, you know. Um, and again, as a professor of English and Spanish, uh, I think these are the tools necessary for our students to get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when we are preparing them, to participate in this global society that we live in. Modern technology has turned us into a global society. Yes. You know, yes. and um, speaking a second language or third or fourth is only going to make you more marketable. When you put that on your resume or on your curriculum vita that you can speak two or three or four different languages. Marketable that's going to- Stronger, stronger. It's just- Exactly. It's just that's a strength. It's definitely a strength. If knowledge is, if applied knowledge is power, then what is language? It's definitely another power, for sure. Exactly. When I was a kid, and here's another story from my growing up years. When I was a kid, um, we would get in trouble on the border in Eagle Pass for speaking Spanish. I remember Miss, uh, well, I won't say her name, the instructor, <laughs> the English teacher that we had, um, I remember she wrapped me on my knuckles once with a ruler because I said something in Spanish. You know, that, that's the kind of punishment that we get. Now, time goes by. Whenever I send out my resume, my career, it says uh, foreign languages, English, Spanish, etc., Portuguese. Now, what was once a weakness then is a strength now. You know, I stubbornly held on to my Spanish. I got my doctorate in Spanish, Spanish literature, but I also got the master's in English and Spanish, etc. So that's why it's so important. We need to maintain our language. We need to maintain our culture. And that's uh, why I do what I do, why I write all these silly stories and try to capture the Hispanic experience, because we need to, we need to tell it to the next generation. Definitely. You know, that's, that's the important thing. That's why I do it on the music spectrum, to tell it to the next generation, for sure. Exactly. Right. Now, your second question right. oh, oh, was my, um, my second question, and this is going to close us out because I, I want I want you to be able to get your rest for tomorrow because I got to get my rest for tomorrow, and I, I, I we gotta, exactly we got to take care of our vessels before we take care of other vessels. Um, Very well put. Yes. After I ask you this question, after you answer it, and and we we'll come up with an answer together because I want to I want to answer it as well. I want you to plug yourself one more time and plug uh, uh, what you, I mean, just anything that you want to, uh, to give a, a plug to and or a shout out to anything that you want to promote. But uh, uh, my next question, and uh, if you, cause I know your answer is going to be greater than mine. I feel out of respect. Uh, um, 
who is your who who's plural whose are your most influential uh, um, Latino individuals uh, uh, in in your life? I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to answer first for me, um, and then de- break off into yours. Um, but for me, uh, my most influential—I um, don't know—we can Latinos in my life uh, uh, are. Uh, in the, in no order, uh, in order, um, number 21, Roberto Clemente, um, Puerto Riqueño for the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Celia Cruz de Cuba, uh, La Negra de Cuba, uh, uh, Carlos Santana, guitarista, the, I think he's, uh, uh, the California, I don't know where exactly he comes from, but I'm almost positive he claims California. And finally, number four, coming in at number four, but it's really uh, uh, above Roberto, uh, you, uh, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz. So um, those are my influentials. I mean, Clemente, Clemente, I mean, they they called him Bob, you know? They didn't, uh, I don't know, they didn't, he came to Pittsburgh and was like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing here. But hit, what is it, three, I think it's 3,000. He 3,000. He set a record that Pete Rose was trying to break, okay, wow. as, a, as, a, as a Latino that just came into Pittsburgh and was just shattering. He, his story ends tragically, but, but – uh, uh, his uh, legacy is beautiful. All right, so then we go to Celia Cruz from uh, Cuba, the the La Negra de Cuba. And if you've never seen uh, the Celia story from uh, uh, Univision's Celia, uh, please, freaks and geeks, go check that out. But uh, uh, that's another individual that uh, I don't know musically really, really, really impacts me. And then and then we go into uh, Carlos Santana, who. I've I've seen live. Shout out Leha. I've uh, I've seen in Leha. Anything you've heard, uh, uh, and that's another Latino name, Leha. Anything you've heard of of Carlos Santana, I've seen it live. So I love you, bud. But uh, uh, anything of Carlos, I've I've, I've seen live because it, it's beautiful. I see. I, I saw him live in uh, uh, down in downtown Austin, Texas. Uh, shout out to the uh, uh, ACL. Austin City Limits live at the Moody Theater. That's where I saw him with Trent Albert, uh, episode one. And then you, sir, uh, um, doc, uh, author and uh, Dr. Rolando Joshua uh, Diaz. Um, but what about yourself? That's me. That's, uh, that's, that's who builds me. And Freaks and Geeks, you've never really heard that. But uh, um, those are the people that are, uh, as well as Bruce Lee, who's also an immigrant. Uh, um, that's who builds who builds me up, and uh, uh, Joey Coco Diaz as well, who's also Cuban immigrant. Um, so, buddies, uh, freaks and geeks, my like, I live for 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 immigrants. I live for uh, uh, what do we call it? The uh, underdog story, you know, um, picking Definitely. yourself up from your bootstraps for sure. But uh, uh, you go for it who who are your most influential latino or uh, latina influences in your life well the list is long and the terms are also very uh, variable mm-hmm. uh if we go back far enough well let me let me begin to answer the question um 
and it's a, this is a common experience that when folks try to identify, try to go back to look at their family history or their history, um, many times when they hit the uh, Mexican the Mexican Revolution, a lot of records were lost. So a lot of folks can't trace their family background. So they have to go, what I've had to do is go through uh, history yeah. to try to identify the people that have been influential in my life. So to answer the, to begin to answer the question, I think one of the first that comes to mind is the Spaniard, Miguel de Cervantes, okay. uh, who wrote Don Quixote, you know? Oh, that's a beautiful, now, I have that in, the, in the dining room right now. The Picasso. Cool. Exactly. Why is he so important to us as Chicanos? Because he wrote the quintessential novel en español during the golden age, el siglo de oro in literature, right? Many times we as Chicanos, as Mexican-Americans in this country, when we speak Spanish, we are made to feel that we are speaking a second-rate language. Yeah. And that is so far from the truth, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you go back to look at the literature, the Spanish literature from the golden age, el siglo de oro, and you realize um, how important, how significant that literature is. Uh, and this guy was doing this at about the same time when this other guy by the name of uh, Shakespeare was doing it in England, mm, right? Bill. But he was doing Bill. it in... <laughs> oh, Billy, yeah, Billy Shakespeare. <laughs> so that's why he's so influential because it's a validation of our Spanish heritage, our Spanish yeah. language. Yeah. Then the uh, other person that, that uh, I think historically has been influential for me um, is La Malinche herself. La Malinche, Malinche Nepal, Doña Marina. She was the translator for Hernán Cortés, the original chingada, right? Okay. If he was, if Cortés was the Adam, she was the Eve of the Mexican people, of the mestizos. Mestizo means mixed blood. And we are all descendants of that coupling, either literally or symbolically. So she is the, the original Eve of the mestizos that we have today. Yeah. Um, other authors, I think, in my in my experience, have been um, folks that I mentioned before, like Victor Villaseñor or yeah. Lucha Corpi. Yeah. Uh, she was the one of the one of the authors that I uh, wrote about in my dissertation. She wrote that series of detective novels. But also on the Spanish side, uh, Alicia Jimenez Bartlett. She's a detective novelist, also, and I compared the two. So she represents the European Catalan uh, influence. Um, other influences that I would say are, have been important in my life have been like authors like Luis Valdez, who wrote Zoot Suit. Yeah. Oh, hold, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, pause right there. Uh huh. Freaks and geeks. Don't don't misunderstand that uh, 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 while uh, the doc, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz brings up uh, uh, Zoot Suit and other plays by plays by Luis Valdez that I don't have the physical copy. And that, that's a callback to owning physical copies of context. OK. I own this. And yes. you should too. It's okay. very, Go ahead. Yes. It's uh, published by Arte Publico Press. And I've got a few copies of that one as well. Um, so, yes, um, literary figures have been very influential. Um, I agree with, uh, with Doc here that, um, that music is part of our culture as well. 
Um, I'm a big fan of Tejano Norteño music as well. Uh, Mexican music, mariachi music. Um, these are influences that have kept me really connected to the Hispanic Chicano Latino experience. Um, I would say that uh, my wife, Luanda, has been a very important part of the uh, keeping me connected as well because she married into our uh, Latino, Hispanic, Mexican culture. Yeah. And she's learned so much about it and kept me grounded, you know, and uh, kept me asking these questions as well. Uh, so after 33 years, she's learned the, the language and the cuisine and everything. So, uh, again, shout out to, to my wife, Lou. Um, she's got the Norman, overall, Berry pie. She, um, she's Norman Berry pie, though. We don't we don't have anything <laughs> like that. What do we what, what, what do we got? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or chata or like a. a Tres leches? No, no, that's normal berry pie. Or that's a <laughs> or capirotada, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I think a, a continuing inspiration for me personally is to reach the next generation. So you, uh, Doc, are the reason I do what I do. You are the inspiration too. So it this this inspiration works both ways. You know, this influence both works both ways. So anyone listening to this podcast as well, I mean, you are the reason that I exist. I have to. Keep trying to educate, to reach out, to influence, to impact the next generation. Um, again, historical figures like Cesar Chavez, I mean, they've been a major part, major influence uh, on my life as well. To try to say that there is only one is kind of tough, you know, because we have such a rich and varied history. Yeah. Um, Cesar Chavez once said, you know, once we become educated, you cannot break us down. And I'm paraphrasing here. You cannot... You cannot uneducate someone that's learned what it feels like to be empowered. Once you know your history, once you know your culture, yeah. once you oh, know yeah. your language, it's your the languages make it your strength. Yeah. And it becomes a validation. You know, when I was a kid, many times people, or I felt that I was the only one that knew about El Chapulín Colorado. I thought that I was the only one that knew about Menudo or Orchata or, you know, uh, Capirotada, whatever the, the, the title may be. But as I read literature, as I saw movies, Hispanic-themed, Chicano-themed movies, I realized that I wasn't the only one. There were other people that knew about about Menudo and Tortillas de Maíz all rolled up. Pozole, everything. I, I tell you what, uh, Dr. Diaz, that uh, uh, I've... I've tried to teach people about Clemente, just Clemente. Let's just talk Clemente, and they don't know. And I, and that's honest with you, and it 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 crushes me, but it strengthens me. So deliver the uh, the insight of of this individual, or just I mean, just on the music spectrum as well, like. People don't know. So, like, I have to deliver information about Stevie Ray Vaughan. I have to deliver information about, you know, uh, 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 Chad Butler from UGK. I have to deliver information about Prince. I have to deliver information about all these other people. Or, I mean, Jim Morrison, this, that, and the other. Or no one. Or, I mean, who knows who will. And and I take it under my wing to deliver that information and Freaks and Geeks, I hope that you take this from this episode to hear that uh, Dr. Diaz to, takes it under his wing to deliver this information to the future as well. It becomes a calling, really. Yeah, for sure. You know, 
because we don't want it lost. No, we don't want it so, lost because we're the only one. Legends get remembered, but hero. Excuse me, hero. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Exactly, and that's that's our task. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, and that's that's why why I do what I do as a college professor or as a writer or that's great. Really, it's just someone walking down the street. They ask me a question about being a Chicano. You bet I'm going to sit there and talk to them about it. You know, whoever yeah. it happens to be. Hell you know. So uh, that's the uh, message. That's excellent. I'm I'm glad you were here to to uh, promote that message, and I will continue to promote that message as well. Um, but uh, I, w- I want to be able to wrap this up for you. Uh, um, I don't know if you have dinner yet. Uh, I want you to be able to have that. I want you to be able to hit that shower. I want you to be able to, you know, take that uh, <laughs> sip of wine and just, you know, just uh, uh, let it all let it all out. But uh, um, right. I want to give you this, uh, you know, this last few moments to plug uh, plug what you're working on for the future and just plug, uh, uh, you know, anything that you would like to go for it. Well, I would just like to remind everyone about the importance of education, whatever you deem it to be. You know, if you want to go to college, by all means, do it. Uh, Someone uh, recently said, um, it's not always easy. And then I turned around and said, yes, but it's always possible. Yeah. So you have it within yourself to do whatever you want to be. Um, I'm an educator. And I think that it's important for folks to to get as much education as possible, as possible, if that is what they want. Uh, and again, education takes many forms. Uh, learn about your culture, learn about your history, uh, learn languages if you can. Um, and I would say, if if anyone wants to get a hold of me, they can certainly email me at my university email. It's r d i a z at s e dot edu and uh, i will certainly answer back uh, as quickly as as time permits um again i'm promoting i'd like to do a quick shout out to southeastern oklahoma state university um we have a massive massive uh, enrollment uh increase yeah um it's a smaller university it's about five thousand, but it's as it's as big as it's ever been and we have a lot of online programs as well. So um, that's only to say that that's, uh, it's important to get your education. If, if you don't want to, uh, to get it at any given institution, by all means, keep more uh, options open. If you want to go to UT Austin or you want to go to the University of North Texas, etc., by all means, give that a shot. You have it within you to, to be whatever you want to. All it takes is one word in Espanol. And what is it? It takes ganas. It takes desire to get it done. And that's really about all of my plug, really. If you want to get a hold of me, I gave you my email. I'd be happy to to respond. Excellent. Excellent. That's beautiful. Tremendous. I think uh, uh, we're going to close it out with uh, uh, a quote. I think you said uh, S-O-C-K-S or S-O-C-K-S. If it is to – it's the 10 two-letter words, freaks and geeks. Uh, uh, and that is, if it is to be, it is up to me. Okay, so check those out. That's mm-hmm. ten. That's ten of them. Diez uh, palabras. Uh, um, the the ten two letter words. If it is to be, it is up to me. All right. Um, well, Doctor Diaz, 
Roland, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz, author Rolando J. Diaz. Uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, uh, I love you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, taking the time. I know we're dabbling into the 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 later the latter half of our day, and you're gonna hear this tomorrow uh, at the crack of dawn when the uh, when the crows come out at six a.m. If you'd like to, it's gonna be there for you. But uh, uh, I really appreciate you uh, uh, stopping in and uh, tuning in. Glad and, to do it. Uh, uh, being a uh, being episode number six of the Doctor's Orders podcast. All right. So freaks and geeks. Muchas gracias. Thank you, thank you, freaks and geeks. Thank you very much. Go uh, uh, follow the plugs of uh, Doctor Doctor Rolando J Diaz and. Uh, uh, that's that's my my biggest advice for episode six um this was a this this episode was deep for sure uh um which it should be it's episode six it's not episode number one it's episode number six you're diving into uh uh doctor uh whether it's uh the foot doctor the 512 foot doctor or it's uh, uh dr rolando j diaz you're diving into to, to two individuals that really uh 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 care they really devote, they really have uh, uh, put their time and effort into something that they believe in. So uh, think about that and uh, uh, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. With that, uh, excuse me, don't say that, don't say that. Uh, uh, I was going to say with that said, but I hate saying that because uh, that's my crutch point. But uh, uh, um, going forward, I really appreciate you, Doc. All your, right, you and uh, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you for being in here and uh, uh, sacrificing the time um, um, to to leave your input, leave your mark on this episode. Thank it's you. no sacrifice. Glad to do it. Take care. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so 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 much. Appreciate it. Well, freaks and geeks, that's all she wrote. Once again, I want to thank my guest, the great. Dr. Rolando J. Diaz for coming in and uh, uh, really setting the story straight and setting the bar high for uh, uh, future uh, future guests to come into the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor. Um, again, you can find uh, author and Dr. Rolando J. Diaz on the net. He is a, uh, he is a, a doctoral instructor um, uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, he also has a, a a book out, like we discussed. Um, please check out um, "Tales from the Tortilla Curtain and Other Stories" by Rolando J. Diaz. This is a, an extremely good uh, uh, ethnic studies, Hispanic American studies text, and uh, you will not be disappointed. It is a uh, it is a text from the past. Uh, when I say the past, I mean. Uh, 2007 but it reflects upon um the present and the future so do be sure to check him out uh check him out on the on the interwebs uh, uh hit him up drop him a line on uh on uh, through his email and uh, uh the and or the interwebs themselves but do check out this book it's an amazing book and i highly highly recommend it you've always heard since episode number one freaks and geeks you've heard the 512 foot doctor preach about physical text physical document documentation excuse me and 
and uh, uh, this is living proof of it. Uh, here we are. We have uh, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz, Uncle Dr. Rolando J. Diaz, that put out this text in the past, and it still holds water. It still reflects upon uh, uh, today's current events. So please, you will not be disappointed. If you're a Latino, if you're a Latina, uh, uh, if you're a, a chingon or a chingona, please, please, please check this text out. You will not be disappointed. Okay. Now remember, freaks and geeks, we have a, a, a big event planned in the future, October 29th. I, I do not get tired of me saying it because I'm going to preach about it every time that we meet, freaks and geeks. October 29th, 2020, the live episode, the live pre-Halloween uh, spook fest um, of the Doctor's Orders podcast with the 512 Foot Doctor and special guest um, that evening um, at Greenbelt Botanicals, the South Lamar location in Austin, Texas, or you can check us out live on our live stream. More details to be released soon. All right. Well, again, uh, freaks and geeks, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Rolando J. Diaz, Uncle Rolando J. Diaz, and uh, um, please, freaks and geeks, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Again, support uh, uh, support the sponsor, Greenbelt Botanicals, at greenbeltbotanicals.com. Uh, utilize that promo code to get 15% off, uh, all caps, Foot Doctor 15 F O O T D R 15. Please support them because they support the podcast. All right. Well, next episode is going to be numero uh, siete, episode number seven. Coming at you hot, coming at you live. As always, it's going to drop on your ass at Wednesday, next Wednesday, 6 a.m. sharp. We'll see you on the next one. Don't be late.